Two wonderful encounters with Jesus here and two wonderful miracles, a complete healing and life from the dead. And how different these two people are. We have here Jairus, a man of some importance. He was a synagogue ruler and would have been highly respected. And an unnamed woman of no importance. Worse than that, her condition made her a social outcast. Their approaches to Jesus are totally different. Jairus came publicly, boldly, openly, and the woman came secretly behind Jesus. That shows the wideness of Jesus' mercy. He welcomes anyone who comes to him, whoever, the whoever. Jesus said in John chapter 6, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Whoever believes in me will have everlasting life. We cannot restrict who Jesus can work with. And yet, there are also lots of similarities between the two. They were both in desperate need. Jairus had a dying daughter and the woman had a dreadful disease. Both of them had faith that Jesus could meet that need. Both of them fell at his feet, acknowledging their need and his power to meet it. And both received a greater miracle than the one that they were hoping for. Now, we meet Jairus first, pushing through the crowd, or maybe because of his position, the crowd parted to let him through. Pushing through the crowd, falling at Jesus' feet, quite openly declaring his faith that if Jesus would just come and touch his daughter, lay his hands on her, she'd be healed and she would live. And at once, Jesus agreed to his request. It just simply says, so Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed him, pressing, thronging round him, jostling him. I've been to Capernaum where this happens, and the streets are incredibly narrow. <laughs> when you get there, you can see how, if there was a crowd pressing around him, he couldn't avoid touching people. It, they were no wider than maybe for allow a donkey and cart to go through, perhaps as wide as this aisle down here. That's the, the streets that he was going with this crowd pressing round him. And now, while he's walking through this crowd to Jairus' house, uh, Jair, we meet the woman, and Jairus fades into the background. And what a sorry woman she is. If you look at verses 25 to 26, which describe her, uh, a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Mark seems to pile on the ministry with every phrase. He deepens her plight. Twelve years of bleeding, bringing physical pain and weakness. And the treatment she received from the doctors just added to her suffering. I have no idea what awful procedures they prescribed, but obviously they were not pleasant. And now all her money has gone, and instead of being better, she's worse off, both financially and physically. And if that wasn't enough, her condition made her unclean religiously, according to the law that we read in the book of Leviticus. And uncleanness was contagious. You could catch it, uh, which meant that anything she touched, whether a bed or a chair, automatically that became unclean too. And anybody who touched anything she touched became unclean. 
So everybody, including her husband, if she'd had one, he would have divorced her, everybody had to give her a wide berth. While I was thinking of this poor woman situation, it reminded me of the two-meter rule in the pandemic. Do you remember that awful time when we had to give everybody a wide berth? If you were walking along the path, the other person had to go into the road, or you had to squeeze yourself into the hedge lest you have some contact with them. Then coming back and washing your hands lest you touched something that had got the virus on it. So, the woman here was like a single COVID-19 carrier that everybody would have wanted to avoid. And her condition would have been known because of all these doctors that she had visited. She was truly desperate. But, here's the good but, she had heard about Jesus. And she believed what she heard. And she knew that just the slightest contact with him would heal her. So she ignored her pariah status and crept furtively through the crowd. I've often wondered how she did this. Did she pull her cloak over her face? Did she bend down very low? I think she probably bent down very low and crept through the crowd up behind because she just wanted to touch. Uh, Luke tells us it was the fringe of his garment. It was the tassel on his prayer shawl. Now, whether she wanted to touch as little as possible because of her condition and she was thinking of Jesus, or whether it just showed the greatness of her faith. However little contact I have with Jesus, I'll be healed. What faith, what determination. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed. Actually, two things happened when she touched that tassel. She felt her pain go and Jesus felt power flow out of him. Probably it was the other way round. The power from Jesus flowed and made her pain go. So he asked the question, who touched me? And the disciples, as so often, <laughs> poor people, they get it wrong. They're only thinking on the material level and not the spiritual level. They say, that's a ridiculous question. Everyone's touching you. How can you possibly want to know who's touching you? But Jesus knows that there is one person in that crowd who's different from all the others. All the others are following, hoping to see a miracle in uh, Jairus' house. But there's one person who is desperate to get in touch with Jesus and get from him what she needs. And she touches him through faith and had that need today, uh, had that need met. And it's the same today. It's quite possible to be in the crowd around Jesus, whether it's here in church, whether it's at home or in the home group. It's quite possible to be in the crowd around him and not touch him to receive his power. It's a challenge to all of us. Are we here just out of habit? Are we here because we like meeting our friends? Are we here to praise Jesus? Are we here to touch Jesus? So Jesus ignored what his disciples said, and he kept looking round until the woman, realizing that she'd been found out, came forward and, like Jairus, fell at his feet and told the whole truth, which is presumably how we got all the details in verses 25 and 26. She'd hoped to slip away as secretly as she had come, but Jesus wouldn't let her. He forced her 
to come out in the open. Why did he do that? When so often he told people, no, don't tell everybody what I've done, and he's going to say it later to Jairus's parents, don't tell anybody about this. Why did he do this? Uh, he was also on his way to heal a dying girl. Surely time was of the essence. He hadn't got time to stop. I think there are several reasons. First of all, he wanted her to have more than a healing. He wanted her to have a relationship with him. He wanted to have a conversation with her, for her to tell him her needs, for him to meet those needs. He also gave her the opportunity to witness to what had happened so that everybody could be encouraged by it. Uh, in Romans 10, it says, if we need to confess with our mouth as well as believe in our heart if we're going to be saved. And the word for saved and healed is exactly the same. We need to get it out of our mouth, <laughs> what we believe in our heart, so that it becomes real and tangible. But mainly, I think it was to give her a word of assurance. The first thing he says to her is, daughter, you're back in the family. You're no longer an outcast. You're no longer unclean. Now you can go in peace, not fear and trembling and anxiety. You're freed from your suffering. He declared publicly to everyone that she was clean uh, so that According to the law, she would have had to have waited seven days to be sure she was clean and then go to a priest and do a religious ceremony. But Jesus says, you're clean now. You can go back through that crowd without any fear because you are clean. Um, without the fear of contaminating everyone. And he told everyone else how it had happened. Your faith has healed you. What does that mean? Because actually it was Jesus' power that had healed her. Uh, but it was her faith that had got her in touch with that power and enabled it to flow to her. If I can use an example, if you think of a car pulling a trailer, it's the power in the car that pulls the trailer. The trailer doesn't do anything. It just is pulled along by the power. But there has to be a link between the car and the trailer, the tow bar, uh, and the power of the car, goes through the tow bar, into the trailer, and pulls it. There's no power in the tow bar at all. It's just an inanimate metal object. But without it, the trailer would stay in the drive <laughs> and not move anywhere. And faith is that tow bar that links us to Jesus' power. Paul said, by grace you are saved through faith. It's not our faith that saves us. It's God's grace that saves us through faith, and we get into touch with that by trusting in Jesus and saying, you're the one, I need what you can give me. And then it goes on to say that faith is a gift of God. And so we must ask for faith, for more faith, for great faith, because our Father loves to give good gifts to his children, and he will increase our faith if we ask him. And now at last we come back to Jairus, I wonder how he's feeling. <laughs> um, is he hopping about from foot to foot saying, come on, come on, get on with it. Leave this woman alone. My daughter's dying. You can come and heal her anytime. I would have been. Or was he encouraged by seeing what Jesus did for the woman? And was his faith strengthened by what he said to the woman? 
And I think he was encouraged and strengthened because of what Jesus said to him when the dread news of the daughter's death arrived. Jesus heard the news, but once more he ignored what people were saying. And he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, keep on believing. He knew Jairus was believing, and he said, keep on, don't let your fear swallow up your faith. So it shows us that fear is the opposite of faith. Yes, Jairus still had his desperate need, his desire, and his deep concern for his daughter. But he needn't be afraid. Just keep believing. Don't let the circumstances around you swallow up your faith in fear. And now we have four words of Jesus to meet this situation. We've already had his word of assurance to the woman. We now have his word of faith to Jairus, just keep on believing. And then we have a word of hope to the mourners. She's not dead, she's asleep. The word of power to the little girl, get up. And then finally a word of care to her parents, give her something to eat. Jairus had to hear and accept the words of faith and hope. She's not dead, she's asleep, as opposed to the mourners who laughed him to scorn and therefore were shut out from the miracle, uh, as were the following crowds who were just waiting to see something spectacular. And when the word of power came, Mark seems to underplay it. Jesus just says to her, little girl, it's time to get up. <laughs> like trying to wake your, your son or daughter in, in the morning. Even the dead can hear the voice of Jesus. And when he said to her, with no great sort of flashing lights or spectacular ceremony, when he said to her, little girl, get up, she did. And she not only got, uh, woke up, she got up and she walked around. And Jesus didn't leave it at that. He was concerned with her aftercare as well. Give her something to eat. Presumably she hadn't eaten for a long time because she'd been so ill. Let's look at the word of power a bit more deeply. She's not dead, but asleep. For us, death is the last and final enemy, and we can't defeat it. But for Jesus, it's only asleep, because you can be woken up from it. The New Testament often describes death as sleep. When Stephen is stoned and finally dies, it says, and so he fell asleep. Paul talks about those who have fallen asleep in Jesus will rise again. Um, Lazarus, Jesus himself described as Lazarus, is asleep. And it used to be that you could see on gravestones, fallen asleep in Christ or fallen asleep in Jesus. The very word cemetery actually comes to us from Greek to Latin, French, and it means in Greek a, a sleeping chamber, a bedroom. That's what a cemetery was thought to be, a place where you sleep ready to be woken up. And one day we will all hear the verse, voice of Jesus and be woken up and raised to life or to condemnation, as Jesus himself says in John chapter 5. But what a tremendous word of hope for those who've put their trust in Jesus and fallen asleep in him, that they'll hear Jesus' voice, wake up, be raised from the dead, given a resurrection body, and live with him forever. But before that can happen, we need new life in Jesus now. Because one of the things that struck me is we all start off life spiritually dead 
in our trespasses and sins. And we need Jesus to take us by the hand and give us new life. And many of us could say with Jairus, my daughter, my son, or somebody else in my family is dying. Please come and lay your hands on them that they may live. So those of us with unbelieving friends or family, let's not give up. Let's fall on our knees before Jesus and earnestly plead with him to give them life. Don't be put off by circumstances or what other people say. Don't be afraid. Go on believing and praying and asking Jesus to meet that need. So what do we learn from these two stories? Uh, about faith, first of all, it's not just intellectual assent to certain facts. The crowd believed Jesus was going to do a miracle, but they didn't receive a personal one, and they were shut out from the biggest one that happened. Faith is hearing Jesus' words and accepting them, not what other people say. Faith also involves some sort of action on our part. Jairus had to go to Jesus, had to fall on his feet, had to plead with him earnestly. The woman had to go through the crowd, creep through the crowd, and touch his, the hem of his garment. So faith also involves taking a risk, not bothering what others think about us, not worried that we'll be hounded out. Jairus took it greatly. He was a religious leader, and we know already that the religious leaders weren't very pleased with Jesus, <laughs> were fairly antagonistic, and they would be, have been friends of Jairus. He took a great risk in going and publicly owning his faith in Jesus. And finally, it, it does involve what Jairus did, falling on his knees, which acknowledged his total helplessness in the situation and acknowledged Jesus' power to deal with it. Uh, we've sung uh, in our hymns, we've, we, uh, in our songs today, we've sung about bowing down. And I think our bodily position often reflects the state of our heart. If our hearts are stiff and erect and untouchable, uh, so will our bodies be. But if our hearts are soft and in need, we will bow down before Jesus. We'll get on our knees and say, please help me. And then what do we learn about Jesus? The first thing I notice about him, he's so calm. There's this crowd pressing around him. There are these people with needs. And it just so he went with them. He's not put off his journey. He deals with the woman when she comes to him. And he's not put off when he hears news of Jairus' daughter's death. But the most important thing I think we learn is that nothing is, was impossible to Jesus. He had the same power as God because he was God and nothing is impossible to God. Sometimes I think our God, our Jesus, is too small. We forget that he created everything just by speaking. That's the power of his word to change things, to create something out of nothing. The first time the uh, phrase nothing is impossible with God is used is when Abraham is worried about not having any children. He's 99, Sarah's 89. And God says, she will, next, this time next year, your wife Sarah, a 90-year-old, will have a child because nothing is impossible with God. 
And we believe in a God who does amazing miracles, dries up the Red Sea, makes water come out of the rock, rains down manna from heaven six days out of seven for 40 years. I could go on and on, and you could too, make a list of the wonderful things God has done to encourage your faith. Um, Jesus is the same today as he was then, and he still has the same power over disease and death. He is the Lord of life, and he can supply all our needs. All we need to do is to plead earnestly and to reach out and touch him. Let that be our prayer this week, that as we walk with Jesus, we won't just be followers in the crowd, but we will be those who do reach out and touch him through faith and receive from him his power, his patience, his endurance, his kindness, his forgiveness, and above all, his abundant life. Amen. <laughs>